The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hold it. One, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Welcome back to Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pictureless podcast highlighting the weird, bizarre, and romantic elements of baseball that make America's pastime special. I am once again joined by Noah Scotts and myself is Brandon Riddle, and we're excited to bring you another episode packed with weird, wonderful, great baseball. And this week, uh, we don't have a wonderful guest. We just have us, which is equally as wonderful sometimes. I think we're pretty wonderful. You know, we we have our moments, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, this week, we have a couple of course segments for you. We have the name game is coming back. Uh, we're going to talk about something that happened last week. So in late May, uh, the 20,000th Major League Baseball player joined the league. What did they? We'll discuss. <laughs> and then finally, we'll talk about the favorite baseball memories, whether it's now or growing up as kids, which is always a good time. Sounds good to me. Yeah, perfect. Um, So with that, let's go ahead and jump in to the name game. All right. So we're bringing back the name game this week uh, that if you listen to the first few episodes of our show, uh, you may be familiar with. However, uh, you know, maybe you're not. So what it is essentially is we dig up one of baseball's amazing, uh, ridiculous nicknames from its incredibly you know, storied history. uh, And we go in and and do a bit of a dive on the player uh, and try and figure out the origin of how they got their moniker. Uh, but to kick things off, uh, I want to pull a fast one on Brandon or at least oh, no. try to. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a question here. So we're going to start with a guessing game. All right. So Brandon, I'm going to list three players right now uh, from baseball's past, or are they? And you're going to have to <laughs> guess which player name uh, I made up myself. Sound good. Perfect. All right. So uh, the first name, that we're going with is Peekaboo Beach. The second Peekaboo Beach. Yeah. The second is Yo-Yo Davileo. And the third is Sneaky Strokes. What are your immediate <laughs> thoughts? <laughs> uh, giggling. Um, so first thought as to which player is made up. So I actually know Peekaboo Beach due to some research I was doing today. Uh, okay. I think uh, so Peekaboo. I guess we can get into that later. Um <laughs> Uh, Yo-Yo W.O. and Sneaky Strokes. I so desperately want Sneaky Strokes to be real. Um, so I'm going to go with Yo-Yo W.O. as made up, even though it has a catchy little name to it. Yeah, no, 
actually you're wrong it is he, he's a real person yo-yo devilio is a real okay. person i made up sneaky strokes i it's kind of it's a little harder to think of of you know a little harder to make up a fake name because it's got to be weird enough that mm-hmm. you know it's it sounds believable but at the same time uh, uh wait a minute i think in an earlier episode we did the same thing and i said any good nickname has alliteration to it and so i chose the alliterative name as the real one and it was fake too so i think you're just <laughs> i think you're being sneaky on me here Pulled I think the that's sneaky what this on is. You. you found yeah. you found how i operate <laughs> yeah i did sorry sorry <laughs> uh, rough start for brandon but we'll see how he warms up as we go here yeah. so the first name that we talked about uh listed off just now was actually peekaboo veach and he is going to be the subject of our name game for today yeah. so born william walter veach uh he was born in indianapolis and he played in just 100 career games across three non-consecutive seasons in actually three different leagues uh because you had the union association the american association and then finally the national league um now the really cool thing about peekaboo veach that kind of ties into the theme of the episode here since we are talking about numbers uh, and we're, we're going to get to the twenty thousandth player uh, in a little bit was that peekaboo excuse me peekaboo veach was actually the 1000th player to make his debut in major league history uh, so that came in 1884 when he actually debuted with the kansas city cowboys of the defunct union association uh and that was number 1000 that that's that's the the star next to his name <laughs> maybe now, we'll see maybe maybe we'll see we'll see i'm sensing a big actually coming from brandon a little <laughs> push little up my glasses here. and get into this yeah yeah ruining the fun of everybody but brandon uh so you went over one, right? So I'm going to yeah. give you a chance to redeem yourself. Okay. Why do you think he was nicknamed Peekaboo? <sighs> so my initial gut reaction is that, of course, uh, Peekaboo, they're surprising people. So he plays poorly in like the first eight innings. And in the ninth, he shows up out of nowhere and always wins the game. So Peekaboo. Um, but then <laughs> I'm also looking at the notes and you have blacked out two whole paragraphs. So I think it's more than he's clutch. Uh, so what I think think peekaboo uh, veach actually did is i think early in his career actually when he was still trying out for teams he jumped on the train late uh with all the other you know tryouties and as they go to whatever field they were getting to um he stumbles off the the train late as well people forget he's there and then he shows up for the tryouts like peekaboo and he demolishes and gets brought to the to the majors you know, you definitely get points for creativity because both of those were, were, were believable enough that that could have actually been the origin story. However, that's strike number two. You're wrong again. So mm. the interesting thing about Peekaboo Beach, beyond being the 1000th player in MLB history, is that there's actually two conflicting stories about where he got his nickname. So the first one is actually uh, kind of based off of this pitcher. Uh, his name was Ed Bagley of the New York Giants. And what he was famous for was keeping his back to the batter until the last possible instant before he released the ball. Now, Peekaboo Veach, as another pitcher, uh, he had a similar delivery, which kind of explained the nickname. Uh, now, that is according to the official rules of Baseball Illustrated. So he would have a really deceptive windup and then Peekaboo, here comes the, the ball out of his hand. Now, the other possible uh you know origin story behind this is how is that he possibly acquired his nickname when playing for kansas city in 1884 now during this season his manager ted sullivan had actually set up timing plays to pick runners off first base through the use of signals now that's really cool because that's also something that players do today is they set up timing plays to catch runners off base catch them sleeping and, and to steal another out right so all the way back in 1884 they were doing this and 
players kind of caught on that Peekaboo Beach would actually have to wait and look to first base for the sign. Uh, so everyone around the league caught on. And so they kept calling him Peekaboo because he would take a little peek to make sure that, uh, you know, to, to look and see if he was going to pick off because he was looking around for signals. So not terribly stealthy on the mound. <laughs> and I think that's interesting because both of those stories kind of contrast because the first one is, yeah, he was really deceptive. And the second one is more of a like, yeah, no, he <laughs> really wasn't deceptive at all. Yeah, Not sneaky <laughs> at all. Now, the really cool thing that I actually dug up about Peekaboo, like I said before, he only played in 100 career games and they were in three non-consecutive seasons. So that's 1884, 87 and 1890. Now, what's really cool is back in 1884 when he debuted, he was actually a two-way player his rookie season. So Shohei Otani, who, right? So he he started and actually <laughs> finished all 12 games that he pitched in his rookie season. And he actually was an above average pitcher. He went three and nine. So yeah, he had a losing record, but he did post a 242 ERA uh, and had averaged 5.4 strikeouts every nine innings over 104 total innings, which in is that year. saying something in 1884. Exactly. Many strikeouts then. Exactly. And when you give it the context that the league average uh, earned run average was 304, that 242 is looking pretty good. Um, now, while he was a very solid pitcher his first year, he actually also played outfield, first base, and even a couple innings at, sec- at second. Now, this is really interesting to me because he ends up becoming an exclusively positioned player outside of a single start uh, years later in 1887. But he was actually, it seems like he was a better pitcher than hitter because at the plate in 1884, uh, he posted a 66 uh, WRC plus. So for those of you at home that don't necessarily know what that means for context, just assume that 100 is the baseline for the league. He was only posting a 66 WRC plus as a hitter. So he was 34% worse than average. And he actually only hit, well, you know, 134 with a 183 slugging in 91 trips to the plate. Now, of course, that was a different era. Players obviously weren't slugging balls out of the park like, you know, John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge. <laughs> uh, but he did actually club uh, himself one single home run. Now, now we say clubs, but I wonder if it was like a liner down the line. And he just lapped and got inside the park home run. Yeah, with no fences or something like that. Yeah, especially, especially in 84. I don't it was extraordinarily rare to actually hit it on the fly outside yeah. of, not the fence. I'm sure there wasn't a fence, but beyond where the fans were standing, for example. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. So maybe he just hit a dribbler that, you know, hit one of the many, <laughs> many gopher holes that probably existed yeah. during that time. And then it was like a comedy routine after that. And he, I'm sure he was a great player, but he just kind of comedy routine himself around the bases for a home run. Yeah. And it's it's actually interesting that you you bring up like comedy because you know, I, I talked about two conflicting origin stories. Now he actually there's because this is all the way back in the 19th century. Uh, people did say that he was he was known for being one of the wittiest players on the diamond, oh. which is kind of cool. But at the same time, I read something where it, it, this is a great line. And they said that he was as quiet uh, as a whisper in a sawmill, which is just amazing, wow. amazing uh, descriptive writing. Right. Uh, so we don't really know because it was 1884. Who knows? But we do know that he did have his best season in 1890 when he actually hit 243. That's way better than, you know, 134. Right. Uh, and that math was actually what, <laughs> the math does check out. But so he actually had his his best season in 1890 when he was actually playing for the Cleveland Spiders, a team that was full of great nicknames. Right. We mentioned we love Cupid the Cleveland Childs. Spiders. We love the Cleveland Spiders. Now, Imagine this, right? He has his best season in 1890. He actually gets cut by the Cleveland Spiders on July 12th. 
then he gets picked up a few days later by the Pittsburgh Alleghenies, which I maintain is a fantastic baseball name. What uh, wait, team wait. name? What what I don't I'm gonna act my ignorance here. What are Alleghenies? Who are they? What do they name so, after? So if you remember correctly, at PNC Park, the current uh, Pittsburgh you know, where the pirates mm-hmm. play right now, that river back there, that's the Allegheny river. Oh. So they were named after the river, at well, the ballpark, cool. which I think is cool. Yeah. You know, like what are some other, I guess, geographical landmarks that, that you could, that you could name a team after, right? I guess San Francisco bays, the Los Angeles four Oh fives. I don't know. The um, Arizona grand canyons. Yeah. I don't know. There we go. Uh, and, and honestly, I feel like this could, you know, like 19th century teams could actually be its own, own segment because he played on oh, some great, great teams here so the spiders obviously great name the alleghenies and when he actually came back and pitched his final game he was playing for the louisville colonels uh so i think that's incredibly interesting um however so he gets picked up by the pittsburgh alleghenies he plays eight games but he also hits 300 so he has a solid week with them before they cut him again on august 3rd so he gets picked up he gets dropped and then he never comes back to the MLB, but he did play in the minors through 1897. Oh, wow. So in a nutshell, that is Peekaboo Beach. So if you, for whatever reason, need some weird bar trivia to astound your friends, uh, ask <laughs> them if they know who Peekaboo is. But uh, with that, I'm sorry, what were you going to say? No, I was going to continue that. Yeah, Peekaboo was the 1000th player. And I think you were transitioning there before I rudely interrupted you, as I usually do. Hey, I mean, we never, never a bad thing to have too many segues, right? Uh, but with, <laughs> yeah, you're right. He was the 1,000th player. Now let's fast forward all the way to today, 2021. And Brandon is going to talk about the 20,000th player to play in the major leagues. And just before we get into that, just think about how few players that is. Baseball is over 100 years old and only 20,000 players have ever made it to the majors. That doesn't even fill up most stadiums. No, that's less than the average attendance at any major league baseball game. Exactly. <laughs> it's, again, mind-blowing how few that is for how long baseball's been around uh, since 1871 professional baseball. It's only 20,000. So these are the best of the best at what they do. Um, so the 20,000th person to be the best at the best of what they did, uh, they showed up on May 21st, 2020, and that was... Jose Godoy of the Seattle Mariners took the field and became that 20,000th player to play in Major League Baseball. And like we were talking about, that is a select few players to actually take the field. And it kind of turns out that that 20,000th is a bit of a misnomer, depending on, you know, what kind of reference you're looking into. Uh, so what I mean by that, so ESPN, Fox Sports, NPR, like a whole bunch of different news sites ran with the story, um, except that they are counting players that played starting in 1871 with the National Association. Ah, and a rookie mistake. Yeah, rookie mistake, except uh, baseball history is so messy. It's perfectly understandable, especially because today historians are still arguing over whether or not the National Association should be counted as part of the Major League Baseball. So that was 1871 with the National Association. They became the first professional baseball league out there. And they played for about four seasons till 1875 when they disbanded. And then in 1876, that's when the National League came around. And that's when Major League Baseball really started to get going. Um, Now, there is an overlap of players that played in both the National Association and the National League. Uh, So it's not like we can look at the National Association, see that, say, for example, 
I don't know, 400 players played in that league and just cut it to 20,000 down by 400 and say 19,600 because there was a decent overlap. Uh, so the best the best lead at the moment that I found is that we have about 19,800-ish players that have played for Major League Baseball now uh, just because of the overlaps kind of weird like that. So the kind of question I had is, you know, why isn't the first professional baseball league part of Major League Baseball? Because uh, Major League Baseball isn't this monolith that's been around since 76. It's not just exactly. been a National League and the American League. There's been lots of others. Uh, you alluded to the Union Association before. Um, so kind of what happened here is that in 1969, uh, Major League got together, kind of looked at the record books and saw a bunch of discrepancies. Uh, so, for example, one of these discrepancies is that in 1887, bases on balls, uh, they didn't count as walks. They counted as hits. So, you, yeah, you saw some wonderful averages like um, 487, 447, you know, like 11 players hit over 400 yeah. because if you walked, it counted as a hit. So things like that, uh, baseball kind of wanted to clear up. So they put together the Special Baseball Records Committee. And these people got together twice in 1968 to put the rules together. And they went down the list and thought to themselves, you know, what leagues are major and what leagues are not. And the leagues that became major, of course, the National League, the American League. And then the American Association that played from 1882 to 1891. The Union Association that played for a single season in 1884. The Players League in 1890, and of course, one of my favorites, the Federal League, which was 1914 to 1915. Okay. Uh, so, they, yeah, they left off, or obviously the Negro Leagues as well, but that uh, National Association. And the reasoning behind that was that, A, I guess it didn't get enough newspaper coverage at the time. Uh, so, I guess, you know, um, records were a bit more difficult to put together. Uh, but then also, oh, uh, they put, they said the National Association, uh, they were not a major league league, uh, because they had an erratic schedule and odd procedures. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense. 1871, your schedule yeah. isn't going to be every day playing double headers or what have you. They, you know, took some days off. There were some gaps in the schedule just to kind of get everyone together, you know, especially after like the Civil War, for example, it took some time to get teams together during that time. Yeah, um, yeah. so it was just kind of erratic in general. So they crossed it off the list. Uh, but still today, like we mentioned, some organizations still consider uh, the National Association part of Major League Baseball, which is why people like ESPN say now we've had 20,000 players because they count that National Association. Uh, so it's just kind of one of those weird variables in baseball history. Um, think about Cap Anson, for example, with how many hits does he have? What's his average? Well, that kind of hits into the 1887 season when he had like a 450 something average like that. And then when they changed the rules, they bumped him down to 347, which was I'm sure he was thrilled. Oh, absolutely. If he'd be rolling in his grave. And they also changed a couple of other rules in that meeting. Uh, For example, they say all single time, uh, all time single season records. Tongue twisted there. One second. All-time single-season records, uh, so no asterisk or official sign, shall be used to indicate number of games scheduled. So if you have a longer season, you're not getting an asterisk because you did uh, special feats, like, for example, breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. I'm calling that the Roger Maris rule. Right. 
Yeah, so things like that. Um, there was also for a couple of years things like uh, base on balls, wild pitches, pass balls, balks. Those were counted as errors against the pitcher as well. So they kind of cleaned some of that up in '69. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think I think it'd be really interesting today if we if we just took a took a minute to kind of reclassify, uh, you know, some of these statistics as hits just to see what would happen to current hitters and their batting averages. Obviously, it would balloon. Right. But would that make Yasmani Grandal, who's you know, <laughs> would that make him like a 450 hitter? Because he's been walking a ton. That would be a really oh, interesting yeah. experiment. I, I would love to see what happens to Joey Vado with his peak uh, with walks added in as yeah. the batting average. Or you can go even more gregarious and think about 2004 Barry Bonds. Yeah, he, he didn't need any help. <laughs> no, no, he got some. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so overall, again, depending on what source you're looking at, either we've had 20,000 uh, Major League Baseball players, but either way, we've had 20,000 professional baseball players. Um, and I do also want to point out that individual Negro League players have not yet been added to that registry. Uh, now, since we made uh, Major League Baseball made that ruling early this year that many Negro Leagues were Major Leagues, uh, that will change. So we'll probably see 20,000 bump up a good amount, which would be kind of cool to see. Yeah, and, and that's that's really a, a good point is that, I mean, you touched on it earlier, it's that baseball records are so, I don't want to say disorganized, but from those early oh, years, no. it's they're yeah, completely they, disorganized. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. See, I, I let you say it, but but it's 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 a good point that like you know even even now like we we still haven't you know added those Negro League players to the count, despite that being its own or very organized uh, you know and very well put together league. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is really just an expanding topic that's still relevant today, which is really cool. Yeah, it's an evolving history, baseball history, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, exactly. Even still, though, you know, just over twenty thousand people, mm-hmm. not that many. And with 20,000 players, you're going to have a lot of memories to have popped up. And there's the heavy-handed Look segue. At that segue, folks. There goes so, our segue. We are so, Major League Segwayers. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so we are. So now we're going to go in, and while this is a, a quicker episode today, we are going to have a great discussion here, just talking about, you know, with me and Brandon, about our favorite baseball memories. Now, this could be from, oh, you know, whenever, you know, as a kid, as a spectator, if you if you played baseball, uh, you know what what really sticks out to you, Brandon? Oh, so many major league baseball memories. All typically around the Diamondbacks, for example, uh, when Archie Bradley hit that triple. I remember calling my friends up against huge. the Rockies in the in the wild card game. Called my friends up, having a good time. Um, I remember when Zach Greinke signed again. I called those same friends yeah. and just yelled at each other for a while, and it was great. <laughs> Uh, but one that kind of stands out to me um, was in the 2001 season at the end of the month of April. Uh, so in that month, Luis Gonzalez, um, he had tied the record for most home runs in that month with, I think it was 14. He tied Ken Griffey Jr. And it was a big deal because, of course, we just had 98 with Maguire and Sosa breaking the record. So now we're kind of keeping our eye on Gonzalez. Maybe he has a chance. And I remember being out of the game at, towards the end of April, and I haven't verify this with a stat book because I'm going to keep this as a pure untainted memory in my head. Uh, (laughs) But the stadium, uh, as Gonzalez comes up to bat, the stadium's absolutely cheering for him to break that record. And I'm in the third deck, you know, way up there. 
and he's taking a couple of pitches and the stadium's like on their edge. And then he gets a hold of one and just beams it and it goes high. Like I'm in the third deck and I'm 10 years old at the time. Yeah. The ball feels like it's a thousand miles above me as I'm at the highest point in the stadium. And it's just soaring out. And I get so excited and it hits just underneath the home run line at Chase Field and bounces back down. I ended up, I think, with a double. Uh, but in my 10-year-old mind, that was history in the making. And I loved that moment. Yeah, that's, did, that's really did, cool. Did it happen? Um, I don't <laughs> know for sure. And I'm not going to look it up because that's such a crystal clear memory. You know, that's that's kind of interesting how you how you bring that up. Because I also have, you know, some pretty conflicting memories, too. Because I <laughs> I remember one of the, one of the cooler thing, games that I attended was I saw... I went to Chase Utley's bobblehead night. And like I said, I might be conflating two memories, you know, bringing them together. Uh, But I went to his bobblehead night uh, when he was in his last season with the Dodgers. And he also hit his 1000th RBI, which was a really cool cool milestone to see to see live because you don't you don't really get a lot of that these days. Um, You know, obviously, you've got the the people on the Hall of Fame track who have done it. Uh, but it's it's something that you you don't really go to the par- to the ballpark really looking for, I think, because it, it was just they did this cool announcement. Uh, there's photos online of him holding the baseball and is one of my favorite players, which I know I'm going to get some groans. Uh, <laughs> you know, that was that was a really cool moment for me to see. Now, just kind of tangentially related to that. Actually, I mean, not really, but I, I do remember, you know, when I was a, a kid and I went to a Dodger game, very little. I had gone with my one of my really good friends at the time. Uh, her dad had had great seats down the first baseline. Nice. And at the time, my favorite player on the team was Nomar Garcia Parra. Still one of my favorite players just all time. And I remember it was a hot day. We were playing the Giants and Nomar got a pitch and he just lined it, just beamed it down the first baseline. And I mean, like it was the reason, you know, one of the reasons we have nets now. Right. It was one of yeah. those. And the you know, my my friend's dad sticks his hands out, bare hands it. And instead of giving it to his daughter, he gave me the foul ball. Yes. <laughs> Which I thought was, you know, looking back is absolutely hilarious, you know, because she was she was a big baseball fan, too. Um, so I thought I, I just think that's, that's pretty have, good. Have you ever gotten close to catching a foul or a home run ball? I have gotten close once to catching a foul ball. Um, this was I would have been in high school at the time sitting. I had really good seats at this time behind the home plate, you know, like halfway up. Uh, yeah. But I had just broken my ankle. Uh, so I was on my little crutches getting down the the the, the bleachers back there. That's brutal. Stairs, rather. It was kind of tough. I ended up taking my uh, crutches aside and hopping on the one leg down because you can't crutch downstairs. It was awkward. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, the foul ball is hit. It goes up behind the netting. And I stand up as best I can on one leg. And I jump as high as I can. Again, I'm sure it's like two inches off of one <laughs> leg. And I feel the ball hit the tip of my fingers and go uh, backwards. And I can't go diving after it because yeah. I'm in a cast. So that was the closest I've been. I got to say, that's just incredibly impressive that you were able to go to an MLB stadium, which are notoriously not very you know, friendly to people who have broken, you said your, your leg or your ankle. Yeah. Ankle. Yeah. Ankle. Um, now kind of along those lines, we've talked about some of our favorite memories. Is there like a most embarrassing baseball memory for you? Oh God. Um, yes. Uh Oh, yes. He's very, yes. very tentative. Yes. Oh, cause yeah. So here's an embarrassing baseball story I have. Uh, so <clears throat> in college, I uh, take a girl on the first date and we go to Chase Field because, of course, that's where I'm going to take a date. It, Great choice. Mm-hmm. And she was a baseball fan, too, so it worked out. 
Uh, so we go, we go out to the stadium, and as we're getting up to the seats, uh, again, third level up a deck as poor college student, uh, they have a little sign-making station out there. And they go, hey, this is kind of fun. Let's make a sign. And unfortunately, you can make the sign yourself. Uh, they made a sign for you, which is kind of weird. Uh, but we kind of started That's- talking to them. Yeah, it was, it was kind That's of a weird moment odd. for baseball where yeah. they didn't like that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so we kind of talked to those sign makers and they go, what's your first date? That's fun. So they say first date on it and make a little baseball. Okay, whatever. So we take the sign and we go up to our seats. We put the sign next to us and just, you know, start going about the day. Well, we're playing the Cardinals and it ends up being a drumming. It's like 12 to two or something like that by the fifth inning. And the announcers got kind of bored looking at the game. So they start oh, scanning no. the crowd. They start looking at the crowd and apparently they find us. And like they stay on this for a while, I guess, because I start getting texts like, hey, man, you're, you're on TV. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not. Whatever. No, you are. <laughs> they send me a picture and there we are with the sign and the game and everything. Well, that's weird. And they focus on us for about three innings and they even put a poll up like, would it be a second date? Whoa. Uh, 50, 51% was no. And Ouch. then they, uh, well, <laughs> and then they uh, send up a reporter and start talking to us up there. Like, oh, this is just crazy. So, we, you know, we talked to the reporter. He goes by and it was, it was a great time. And end of the game happens. No other shenanigans. So we, we just kind of go back. Um, and after at, we go to my friend's house, we kind of watch his highlights. Oh, that's kind of funny. We were there. Um, and we drop, I drop her off. And then I go to bed and I wake up the next morning. There I am on the front page of Yahoo News. There we are on ESPN. On the Daily Mail, we are literally on the front page of news sites, oh, and it no. was the weirdest thing ever. Um, I get—I don't know how they got that in my email, but the Diamondbacks emailed me saying, "Hey, we want to take you guys to come on down for a second day. Tickets on us." Oh, sweet, excellent. Uh, so we're starting to do that until later in the day. Um, I get another email from Fox News. Not like my local, the Fox News up in New York City. They go, wow. we saw what you did there. We want to fly you up to New York City for a second date. I thought this was supposed to be embarrassing. What? This sounds like a great date. Oh, no, it, it was kind of weird. <laughs> but no, yeah. it was actually a lot of yeah. fun. Uh, so they actually end up flying us out to New York City to have a second date in the middle of Times Square with a table with um, spaghetti with an accordion player behind us as they interview us. The weirdest thing ever. Okay. Yeah, it was, and that's like 7 a.m. in the morning. Um, so, yeah, that's my baseball story is that I got a free trip to New York City uh, with a second date uh, on Fox News' dime. <laughs> that's that's a super, very cool story that I, yeah. I, hadn't, I hadn't heard before. No, actually, um, I usually don't tell that story. So, there we go. Yeah. Now, well, all the you, you don't tell it because now I have to go on the internet and, and, oh, and it's find there. those photos. You, right? you can Google Diamondback's first date, and there it is. That's first cool. date couple, probably, is what you would look yeah. at now. Well, that's that's kind of super ironic, too, because I know that that uh, the same thing happened to another couple this year was on social media. There was like yeah. a big, you know, following of this couple who took I think it was their second date, but it was also at Chase Field. And, uh, and then they, you know, I think somebody tweeted at the Diamondbacks. They ended up on the Jumbotron mm-hmm. and then they ended up going to like, I think, hockey games, a couple basketball games. They they were just this national story for about four days, and they kept <laughs> kept getting free tickets to stuff. So that's the pretty cool. The stadium of love, Chase Field. And that's all I wanted was to be on a Jumbotron, and I never got on it. <laughs> that's why. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping if you Google that now, we'll all be replaced, and they'll be up there. But no, that was, yeah. it was honestly a, a fun little time. I like it. 
That is super cool. I, I apparently need to lie and take my girlfriend to a quote unquote first date. First date, uh, yeah. Get yourself hooked up yeah. with some free tickets. Yeah, that's that's super cool. My embarrassing story is not nearly that cool. Uh, mine <laughs> came from when I was, I want to say I was like 10 or 11. And I was, uh, you know, back then it was Matt Kemp, Andre Ethier, the James Loney era, right? Mm-hmm. And Back then, you you know, I went early, went to batting practice. I got to like, I hung out next to the dugout trying to get a player to, to you know, say hi to me, right? And I actually got my hat signed by Andre Ethier, which was awesome. He was one, yeah. of my, one of my favorite players at the time. And then I, I, I was like, hey, this is my chance. I gotta ask him something, right? Like, I gotta, I gotta like make this make this count. And in my tiny pea brain of of like an, a ten year old boy. I asked him the lamest question I think I've ever asked a player in my life. And that was, are you guys going to win today? And he just looked at me. He just looked at me and he shrugged and he's like, oh, he shrugged. He shrugged because it was a stupid question. He's like, yeah, "Yeah, of course. Like, like we're going to do like who does who asks a player that this keeps me up at night. It's kind of like if you're a kid in the hospital bed and and they go like, will you hit one for me today, babe? And he goes, right. yeah, kid, I hit a homer for you. Like, Andre Ethier is going to say, you are going to win this ball game for you, little Noah. We got you. Yeah, no, I, I just remember going back up to my seats and, and you know, go in, going and rejoining my family. And my mom, I told my mom about it and she said, wow, that is the worst thing you could have asked him. <laughs> like, like she, she's like, what is he supposed to say? Of course. Like, you know, and that wasn't That's the good. last time that I put my foot in, the ma- in my mouth in front of a baseball player. Flash forward to about, I don't know, I was like 18, 19 years old. And Justin Turner was signing autographs down by my house at, at the mall, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was at a Lids. And so I get there early with my little brother and my one of my good friends. Uh, and we go inside. And so, like, for those of you at home that, you know, you've only heard my voice so far, I have red hair. And so me and Justin Turner, we share that bond, right? And so I was thinking of trying to think of something witty, something cool, you know, to, to kind of like point out to him, to say to him. And I got up there to the front and I just completely stumbled all over all of my words i was gonna say something like oh you know thanks for for you know looking good for the redheads out there i don't know what came out of my oh, mouth no. but oh, no. i got i got the like a five second stare from justin turner while i was just in this i don't even have the excuse of being like 10 i was like out of high school at this point like this is this is bad like i <laughs> and i just remember you know just choking on my words and then like looking down at my shoes for a second oh uh, no and i really yeah yeah so that was that's uh. i'm sure that you know, in my life, I will inevitably embarrass myself. He was even worse than that. But because wanting to say thanks for making the red headaches look good out there, but mixing those words up, uh, that could be very awkward depending on how it goes. Oh, so, definitely. Uh, but I'm sure it was great. I'm sure you pulled it off with poise, and he just looked at you because he had never heard such eloquence from someone yeah, like that. Yeah, I'm gonna say no, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and then I do have have my own, uh, you know, another foul wall story that just came to mind when you're telling yours. Uh, and that was when I actually had seats uh, to, I think it was the second, third deck, maybe at Dodger Stadium, uh, nosebleed seats, essentially. But we were in that front front row, right, right behind uh-huh. home plate, uh, just, you know, up a ways. And uh, I was there with my brother and my dad and a batter fouled a ball back. And I was like, wow, the ball's actually coming to me. I actually have my glove. I'm prepared. Oh, it's the moment. You know, it's my moment. I'm going to get on the Jumbotron. And I reach my glove out over the railing. And I get too scared that I'm going to fall over because I feel like that's a very. It's Dodger, that's, Dodger that's a Stadium. Yeah, it can happen. 
yeah, you know, it's, it's happened to people before, unfortunately, but I was, I was reaching over and it was, there was so much spin on it. I closed my eyes for half a second and I felt it tip off the top of my glove, you know, just like you did off your hand. And it just made a loud bang that sounded like a gunshot as it hit the, uh, like the siding, yeah, scaffolding and it fell down to the crowd. And I just remember going like, that's never going to happen to me again. Did, did the crowd boo? Cause sometimes they can be merciless if you miss a ball like that. You know, luckily I was wearing the right colors, so they weren't they okay. weren't too hard that's on good. me. That's but uh, yeah, that's that's one that I play so back I, in my I, in my mind. At night. I think my favorite memory at Dodger Stadium is the only memory I have at Dodger Stadium. I went there for one game, and it just so happened that Paul Goldschmidt took Clayton Kershaw deep twice in that game. So that Oof. was a that was a fun little memory. <laughs> ah, yeah, no, I I remember being terrorized by Paul Goldschmidt, and then for a period, JD Martinez. Oh, now, JD Martinez. Yeah. Now, just to kind of like wrap this up, the, uh, you know, this discussion. Now, ha- do you have any like good, have you ever attended a playoff game? Do you have any good memories of that? I have been to, I think, only one Diamondbacks playoff game. Uh, that was again in 2001. It was, oh, what was it, game two against the Atlanta Braves? And we got absolutely beat up. We lost like 11 to three. Uh, that was a miserable game. But, yeah, you know, st- still got to see a game in that magical season. Yeah, exactly. And that playoff atmosphere is just so different. Oh, it was, it was great. And they were handing out those, uh, they had the white pom-poms, essentially. And yeah. Phoenix was really getting into Dimebacks at this time. And so you just had 50,000 people cheering with these white pom-poms. It was a great atmosphere. Yeah, and it's I, I like it's just so great, too, because if it, it, it you lose yourself in the crowd. You really oh, yeah. do. And it, it just, it's... Yeah, I, I take that back. I've been to two. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was just thinking about getting lost in the crowd again. Um, I ended up going to another playoff game i think this was in 2008 did the diamondbacks make the playoffs in 2008 it was 2008 just not t- time for a now <laughs> um and it was paul goldschmidt's first time in the playoffs and he hits a grand slam against the cubs and i believe that's when ted Lilly uh, slams his gla- uh, ah. slams his gr- glove into the to the mound. so that was good cool. old we good got old very loud we got very loud in that yeah that's when uh, Max Scherzer – no, is that Scherzer pitched or Jared Parker? I don't know. I'm, I'm just going off the rails here. Yeah, yeah. I think I've, I've been to, you know, been lucky enough to go to a handful of playoff games in, in my time. But mm-hmm. I, I think the one that really sticks out to me was just uh, – I was there when – I think it was 2013. We were playing the Cardinals. And Big Joe Kelly at the, you know, the, the dawn of his career – threw a high and tight fastball to Hanley Ramirez and Ooh. shattered his rib. And immediately we lost our best hitter. And then we got washed, you know, out of the playoffs shortly thereafter. And I just remember him going down and just the whole stadium. You could hear a pin oh, drop because he I was, bet. he was on a tear like, like he that, was, that yeah. year. Well, even that year, he was still kind of injured off and on throughout, but when he was healthy, yeah. he was absolutely on and he was so invested in that team too. Uh, so yeah, that, that one hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely, Definitely missed the era mm-hmm. of Hanley Ramirez, Adrian Gonzalez. That was fun. Even Carl Crawford, even though that didn't work out. I, you know, I, I, I appreciated the, those which, times. Because- which is funny you bring that up because I just finished that book by uh, Molly Knight. I'm looking at it right now. The best team money can buy about okay. the Dodgers. So that that was a really fun read. And well, I, it's always difficult when they humanize and make people likable that you just want to dislike. Like Kershaw's a great guy. He is amazing. <laughs> I want to give him a big old hug. But I don't want his team to win, so it's difficult. It's a difficult like dichotomy in your head. Yeah, it's it's really like you know, there's always going to be those players which, you know, 
you just can't hate like Buster Posey is one for me Buster where Posey, he he yeah. was so fun to watch. He's such a good player. He's really good. It, you know, I don't know him personally, so but he seems like a really cool guy. Feels uh, like you do. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's really you know I I can't I can't hate somebody who's just good at their job, right? Mad bum maybe, but you know <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a different story. But uh, essentially, you know, you, you just got to tip your hat sometimes to the greats mm-hmm. of the game, you know. But uh. Yeah, so that actually we was this was supposed to be a shorter episode, but like always, we run long here at Pitcher List. So uh, that will actually wrap things up for us here tonight. Uh, very very fun discussion about some of the you know some some interesting players that have a very special place in history, as well as sharing some memories back and forth, which is really what this podcast is all mm-hmm. about. So if you like like what you hear, uh, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review if, if you're feeling it. Um, and then if you want more content from Brandon or I, he churns out some great pieces on Picture List about all sorts of weird, weird tales from yesteryear. So you can follow Brandon at BD Riddle and myself at Noah A. Scott 6. So for Brandon Riddle, I'm Noah Scott, and this has been the Short Hops and Tall Tales podcast. See you next time.